I want to take as my text this morning that first reading from Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, verses 9 through 15, and if you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1099. Acts chapter 16, verses 9 through 15, which I'd like us to read again just so it's fresh in our minds. Acts chapter 9, excuse me, 16, and beginning at verse 9, in which Luke, the writer, writes, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside of the gate to the riverside where there was supposed to be a, a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman called Lydia from the city of Thyatira a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This morning I want to talk about God's irresistible grace. God's irresistible grace. Now it was Jesus himself who said in Matthew 22 and verse 14, Many are called, but what? Few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. And we might ask, and so who are the chosen? Well, the chosen are those who answer the call. And who are they that answer the call? Those who answer the call are those whose hearts the Lord has opened. And that was Lydia's experience. In fact, perhaps you yourself have had that experience. God graciously opened your heart. You believed in Him. You trusted in Him. You answered the call. And this grace in your life was irresistible. You couldn't help yourself. Indeed, you believed, you trusted, you answered the call. And that because the Lord opened your heart. And your heart wouldn't let you do anything less. Now in our text, Luke tells us that a vision appeared to Paul. And just so we kind of understand what's going on, if you're following along the story of uh, it develops in the book of Acts, Paul is on uh, what we sometimes refer to as his second missionary journey. He had two other people with him, uh, uh, a man called Silas and another that he picked up in Lystra called Timothy. And together they were going around and they were revisiting all of the churches 
that Paul and Barnabas had planted on the first missionary journey in what was then called Southern Galatia, or what we now know as modern-day Turkey. And eventually, Paul and Silas and Timothy reach a town called Troas, which is a port city on the northwestern shore of the Aegean Sea between Greece and Turkey today. And Luke tells us that in Troas, a vision appeared to Paul at night. In particular, he saw a man of Macedonia in northern Greece standing there and pleading with Paul and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. A call into Europe from Western Asia. Now, Macedonia, as I just mentioned, is in northern Greece. It's about 100 miles from where they were on the other side of the northeastern shore of the Aegean Sea. And Luke says that when Paul had seen the vision, Luke says, we, and this is the first time uh, he, he uses this pronoun, plural and, 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 uh, and first person, including himself in it. Seemingly, Paul, or Luke, joins the group in Troas. And when Paul had seen the vision, we, that is now Luke, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, we immediately sought to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God, through this vision, was calling us to preach the, the gospel to the Macedonians as well. And so Luke says that after setting sail from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace. That's an island that's sort of halfway between where they started and where they're going in that north, uh, northeastern part of the Aegean Sea. And Luke says, and, and the following day they came to Neapolis. And Neapolis was a port city in the Roman province of Macedonia. And Luke says in verse 12, and from Neapolis we went to Philippi, which is about 8 to 10 miles inland from the Aegean Sea and the port city of Neapolis. And he describes it as a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we were spending some days in the city. I don't know exactly what they were doing there. Maybe they were waiting for another vision to figure out what to do next. And that nothing seemed to come. Now, Philippi... Uh, was named after King Philip of Macedon, King Philip II of Macedon, who happened to be, by the way, the father of who we know as Alexander the Great. And Luke says that Philippi was a Roman colony. In fact, the, the, a significant, apparently, a significant part of the population there were retired Roman soldiers. And Luke says that after being a few days in town, uh, they went on the Sabbath day, uh, out of the city uh, to a, a riverside where they were thinking that there would be a place of prayer. Now, there, th this indicates without saying so directly that there was no synagogue in Philippi. And that, no doubt, was because of the, the Jewish population there uh, was small. In fact, in order, in order to formally establish a synagogue in any, any location, 
that required 10 Jewish men, and usually the families that go along with it, to establish an official synagogue. But that didn't exist in Philippi. So in the absence of that, Paul and his companions uh, assumed that if there were any Jews in the city at all, they would be out by the river and having a prayer meeting on the Sabbath day, which was the custom when the circumstances were such as this. And so instead of the synagogue, they went to the prayer meeting out by the river. And we continue reading, Luke says, and they, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and even Luke himself, they sat down. There were some women there. And began, they began speaking to the women that had assembled. And Luke continues in verse 14, and he says, and a woman called Lydia was listening. And she was, Luke says, a, a seller of purple fabric from the city of Thyatira, and he describes her as a worshiper of God. In all likelihood, she probably was a Gentile. She wasn't a full proselyte to Judaism, but there were lots of people like this in Paul's day, sometimes also referred to as God-fearers, Gentile people who, who worshiped Yahweh God, the God of Israel. Uh, they would go to synagogue and sit in a designated spot and to the best of their ability without fully committing, uh, in the men's case, to circumcision, <laughs> which is a pretty big commitment. Uh, they would otherwise try to live out the moral law of God as it was taught to them by the rabbis in the synagogue. And so here was this Lydia, a Gentile woman and yet a, a, a God-fearer, a worshiper of Yahweh God. And, and Paul's, or, uh, Luke says that she was what we would call a businesswoman. She was a businesswoman from Thyatira, which is a, a town in western, what was then called Asia Minor, what we now know as modern-day Turkey, a seller of purple fabric, which makes abundant sense because Thyatira was known uh, for its, uh, its production of very uh, hot, valuable uh, uh, and expensive purple dye. Uh, that was used for the production of purple cloth, which was a favorite amongst the rich. In fact, interestingly enough, in Luke's gospel, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he also wrote the Acts of the Apostles, which we're reading now. But in the Gospel of Luke, we have this story that Jesus told, the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And in that story, Luke chapter 16 and verse 19, Jesus begins his story in this way, and notice the significance of the purple cloth. <laughs> and Jesus said, Luke 16 and verse 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. I can just see him in that purple toga <laughs> as Jesus describes him. And so seemingly Lydia sold expensive purple cloth to those who made expensive garments for the rich living in Philippi. And Luke says that the Lord opened Lydia's heart. It's very interesting, the scriptures say, and James in particular, that God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. But Lydia was a rich woman. A businesswoman. Before her time, there weren't many in her time. But Luke says in verse 14, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Now, of course, if, if the Lord opened her heart, that means that her heart wasn't open 
until God opened it. And this refers to a, a divine act of grace on Lydia's part. That is God doing something for Lydia that Lydia could not have done for herself. And this is reminiscent of other scriptures uh, in the Bible. For instance, uh, if you go to the Old Testament and, and uh, 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 Psalms 119 and verse 18, there's a very famous verse there, but I don't know if we ever really think about this, the significance and the import of it, in which the, the, the psalmist says, Open my eyes, Lord, because they're closed. I need you to open them. We even sing that, right? Open the eyes of our heart, Lord. Open mine eyes that I may see wonderful things from your law. That's an act of the request for an act of sovereign grace. Or uh, Jesus, uh, in Luke's gospel, chapter 24 and verse 45, after he had risen from the dead and in one of the, one of the post-resurrection experiences, Luke records this, Luke 24 and verse 45, and then Jesus opened the minds of the disciples that they might understand the Scriptures. They weren't understanding it. In fact, they were, that was one of the reasons why they were so confused as to what Jesus was doing and why they lost all hope when He was crucified. Had they known the Scriptures and had they been listening closely to what He had been saying, and if the Lord had opened their mind before the resurrection, they, wouldn't have, they would have gotten it. But He opens their minds after that they might understand that what happened to Him was all in the Scriptures ahead of time, an act of divine grace. Or Matthew 16, you remember the, the dialogue that Jesus had with his disciples? Uh, and he was saying, so who do people say that I am? And some said, well, John the Baptist. In fact, that was Herod's position. I killed John the Baptist. I had his, uh, had his head cut off and so forth. And now there's this guy, Jesus, doing these miracles. This must be John the Baptist come back from the dead. <laughs> that he could do these miracles. Some say John the Baptist. Some say uh, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then we come to verse 15 in Matthew 16. And Jesus said to the disciples, but who do you say? Not them. Who do you say that I am? And in verse 16, Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's who you are. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. I'm not John the Baptist. I'm not Jeremiah, one of the prophets. I'm the, I'm the Son of God, the Anointed One, come in human flesh. And you can see that, Peter. And the reason why you see it is because the Father revealed it to you. He opened your heart and opened your eyes. And that's why you know and that's why you can say what you just said. And that's what happened to Lydia. And, and seemingly this, this act of divine grace was irresistible. As often is the testimony of those who have experienced what we're talking about. I often have uh, talked about my own conversion experience at a youth meeting where I did not want, that was the last place I wanted to be, and there was nothing I was interested in less <laughs> than God. I was not interested in God. I was not interested in Jesus Christ. I don't even know if I knew, I don't, I don't even know, think I knew what the Holy Spirit was. 
I don't know, I don't, any of, and I didn't like Christian young people. They were weird. I didn't like any of it. And that was the night he opened my heart. And when I was invited to make Christ Lord, sitting in the very back, I couldn't have, I, my back was, the chair was to the back of the wall. I couldn't have gone any farther back. I just said in my heart, okay, Lord, I'm yours. Why did that happen? It happened to me just like it happened to Lydia, like it happened to Peter, like it happens to everybody who says yes, who answers the call. Indeed, when God opened Lydia's heart, she believed, and when she believed, her faith and trust in Christ was genuine and personal. This is part of the mystery of it, that God gets directly involved. But when you express faith and you say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, soul, bless this Lord God of ours. He's the one who inspires that. But it belongs to you. It's your faith. He gives it to you as a gift. And there's nothing else when this happens that you want to do more. As Luke says, and the Lord opened Lydia's heart to respond to the things Paul had spoken. And Luke says that, and when she and her whole household had been baptized, she had a household. This back to this was a woman of wealth. She had a household. In fact, perhaps some of the other women that uh, were with her at the prayer meeting on the side of the river, perhaps some of them were some of her servants in her house, which was common at that time. And her family or whoever might have been there, the whole household, she says, I've become a Christian, and we're all going to become Christians. And everybody says, okay, okay. <laughs> That's the way it went. And so when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, Luke says, because he was there, saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. Now, they're traveling. I mean, what are they doing? And Paul's a tent maker. Maybe they were roughing it, you know, uh, some, in some sector of, the, of town or maybe staying at some inn or what we would call a, a motel uh, that they could possibly afford. And she said, come and stay at my place because I've got many rooms and what you have done and what the Lord has done for me through you. I just, won't you please come? And Luke says, and she prevailed upon us. And so they went to go stay at Lydia's place. Interestingly enough, as it happened, Lydia's home became a base of operations for gospel ministry in the city of Philippi. It was Anne Lamott in her book, Plan B, further thoughts on faith, who said this. She said, grace means you're in a different universe from where you had been stuck when you had absolutely no way to get there on your own. Listen to that again. Grace means you're in a different universe from where you were stuck when you had absolutely no way to get there on your own. If God had left me to myself, I would have left that youth meeting in the huff in which I entered it. And nothing would have happened. And I would have been just as happy as a clam because I loved sin and I loved my darkness like most people living in darkness do. But God had other plans. He changed my heart 
And there was nothing more thrilling than to say yes, even though I could have never have, I could never have had anticipated that that would happen. In fact, what was interesting, because I didn't really know anything about the Bible, all of these things that I am now reading in the Bible and have been reading for years prior to that, I didn't know any of this happened. But when I read it, it made an abundance of sense because it was telling my story. That's what happened to me. <laughs> and so it's not just about what happened 2,000 years ago. God continues to do this in my life, your life, and the lives of other people who are not here today. Grace means you are in a different universe from where you had been stuck when you had absolutely no way to get there on your own. That's what we commonly call transformation of life. And that's what God does. Transform lives. In fact, think about that as we read. I want to read this very common scripture. Just two verses. Most of you are familiar with it. If you haven't read it yourself, you heard me read it a, a thousand, five hundred times, at least since I've been here. Ephesians 2 and verse 8. For by grace you have been saved. Grace is unmerited favor. It's not a wage. You know, you, it's not what, they, what you get because you did something. It's just a gift. It's grace. For by grace you have been saved or delivered through faith by God. <laughs> And this is not of yourselves. The gift of faith doesn't come from you. The gift of faith comes from God. And that's what he says. It's the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. In fact, what's my story? What's Lydia's story? What's Paul's story? What's Peter's story? The story is, this is what God did for me. I knew who Jesus was because the, Jesus told me. I mean, I, I didn't realize it was happening that way. He told me why I was feeling that and I said that and I, and I know that. He said, the Father revealed it to me. It's a gift from God. Or Philippians chapter 2. In fact, did you, did you know that? That these, these, the, these uh, believers that begin to, uh, uh, as a result or uh, subsequent uh, to Lydia's uh, conversion, people in Philippi be, be started to become Christian people. Paul wrote a letter to, what? The Philippians, the Philippian believers. And this is what he wrote to them. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. And so then, my beloved, he says, just as you have always obeyed, always obeyed the gospel, uh, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. In fact, he's writing from prison in Rome. <laughs> now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For, he's, he's saying, do it. Do what you've been called to do. Work it out and, and pay attention. Take it seriously. Do it with fear and trembling. For, verse 13, it is God who is at work in you. For it is God who is at work in you. Both to desire. Where did that desire come from? Oh, it's, Paul says it's the work of God. For it is God who is at work in you both to desire and to do what pleases him. I wonder, does that describe the work of God that he is doing in your life? God's irresistible grace. Let us pray.
We say it ourselves, Lord. We say it. We, we, I think we understand. We say, oh, but for the grace of God, there go I. I think we know deep in our hearts how dependent we are upon you. And uh, even though some of us are under the mistaken delusion that we're in control of things, when things go wrong, that's just a, a little hint that uh, uh, maybe you don't have nearly as much control as you think. And when it comes to living in darkness and desiring the light, in fact, Jesus, Lord, said himself, they, 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 they don't come to the life because they love the darkness and their because their deeds are evil. But then when you spark that light within us, we say, I like that. I like the light. I like to see things the way they really are. In fact, it was Jesus who said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you shall know the truth. You shall be enlightened. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And Lord, who doesn't like freedom? And so, Lord, I pray that maybe we would give some thought, some serious thought to the experience of Lydia and your grace in her life. And if we have experienced this grace, Lord, to, to revel in it and seek more of it, that we might be conformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And if we've never, if this seems such a, just a strange thing to us, to say, Lord, make that real for me. I don't want to just be religious and go through the motions. I want something real, something divine to happen to me. Open my heart. Open my heart. Let that be our prayer this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.